1: I'm Fionnuala J and welcome to the podcast, Hooked on Virgin Media Dublin International Film Festival. Coming up, I'll be chatting to Broken Law Director Paddy Slattery about some of the standout documentaries from this year's festival. But first, we turn our attention to Angeline Ball's Irish comedy, Deadly Cuts, which closes the festival on March 14th. The film is set in a working class Dublin hair salon, where the stylists become accidental vigilantes and community heroes as they take on the gang members and gentrifiers threatening their community. I recently spoke exclusively to Angeline Ball all about Deadly Cuts. Angeline, congratulations on Deadly Cuts, sold out at this year's Virgin Media Dublin
0: International Film Festival. How does it feel? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, obviously, you know, we did it in 2019 um, and we were really expecting this big kind of, you know, um, release uh, 2020. So it's been a while and then you start to get kind of itchy feed and you start to get nervous about, oh, is it ever going to come out? So I'm really excited and I'm really thrilled by the feedback. Um you know, it's just brilliant. And especially, you know, with the pandemic and everything, the fact that there's such a buzz around it is, is you know, a hundred times better than, like, you know, otherwise. So it's great. Talk to us about your character
1: in Deadly Cuts. Who is she?
0: Um, Michelle... Without revealing too much, because, you know, her past is kind of revealed in the film a little bit. Uh, Michelle is, um, you know, a hardworking woman who's kind of come up from the bottom and, you know, she puts everything into the salon. You know, the salon is her baby, the, the girls are her her, her children um, and uh, her clients. She really looks after them, you know? And the thing about ha- hairdressers is, is that like, it's such a hub of activity in a community like that, you know, it's so important. It's an important part. It's not, women don't just go to have their hair done, you know, they go to get away from the house. They go to have a cup of tea. They bring their knitting, they, you know, they talk to other women and it's a real kind of little kind of meeting place you know for women and and men I suppose and um, you know it's where you hear all the gossip and and all of that so I think it's really become part of her life you know um, and it's very important to her Um, and I think you know she's she's a nice character she's a tough character Um, but at the same time you know you see all of that vulnerability Um, surrounding her as well, you know.
1: How was your experience making the film? Because obviously, like, such a solid female production in terms of both on camera and behind
0: the camera, which is really great to see. Isn't it amazing? You know, like, Orvin and Kira produced it and Liz Gill, that's three fantastic ladies. And, um, you know, written and directed by Rachel Carey. Uh, You know, of course, we have beautiful male actors in it that are just phenomenal, but they kind of, You know, they they come under and lift our characters up, you know. Um, It was really important, and especially the fact that it's set in a kind of working-class estate. Um, You know, it's not kind of flashy. It's quite funny. It's quite kitsch. Um, It just was such good fun to do. And the minute that I read the script, I said, I have to do this. All the little Dublinisms that are kind of, you know, are disappearing in a way um Rachel just nails it right on the head and when I re- read it I just you get this feel for characters sometime and sometimes you say okay I'm gonna have to be this and I'm gonna have to be that but I just got Michelle straight away you know
1: on that, obviously, Deadly Cuts is due out in the summer, just for anyone who missed out on tickets. And it's getting a UK release, which is very exciting. Yeah. How do you think that humour is going to travel over there? Do you think they're, they'll are they get all those Dublinisms that you're referencing?
0: Well, this is it. I mean, I was just thinking, I mean, you know, years ago when, with I call it the C word, the commitments, uh, it came with a glossary, which was quite funny. And because Dublin, the language has evolved so much now, there's new words in the dictionary, you know? um. And I'm often I'm thinking like, you know, will they get it? Like, will they, you know, there's such there's great lines in there that blink and you miss them, you know? Um, So, yeah, I I hope they do. Well, definitely the Irish in London or the Irish abroad will definitely get it and it'll take them right back. But, um, yeah, it's very fast paced as well, you know, so you really have to listen in and get where get where the film is going, you know, because it's, you know. It's a it's a kind of a, a slick comedy, but it has that pathos to it as well, where there's an underlying kind of moral to the story. You know, we've got
1: some quick fire questions for you now as well, Angeline, just all about cinema and your love of it. So kicking off, when did you first fall in love with cinema? Do you have a moment that um, you think
0: back to? It's funny because um, I'm from Cabra West and in Phibsborough, there used to be a couple of cinemas. There was the Bow and I just saw a picture on Twitter last night of the Bow cinema and it was bizarre i do remember like being about 3 and watching something in that before it kind of closed but then around the corner was the state cinema and i remember that um i watched flash gordon And I loved that. And the great thing is, I can't even remember how much it was to get in, but the great thing is that you could watch films again and there'd be like an intermission. And I just, I still am looking for those curtains, you know, those wonderful velvet kind of, you know, sweeping curtains that come down and then they go back up again, Um, intervals. And then if you stay there, like it, it just, you know, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. I don't know how long we waited, but you can watch the whole film again, you know? Um, so that's, I think, that was, you know, an escape on the big screen. And there was lots, there was Grease on there. There was lots of different films. And then, the, of course, the the other big film um, cinemas in town, like the Carlton, the Savoy. Um, I learned from. And they, You're sorry about that, that, that's just my computer. Uh, they, they, they'd have ushers and all that, like on the steps outside. I knew somebody's dad was an usher at the Carlton and, you know, it was just so lovely to say, oh, they can get you tickets for this and that. And, um, you know, watching the Superman, uh, first Superman there in the Carlton on uh, Parnell Street. Uh, it's just. It's just magical. It's a great escape for people. And I know that even when cinema first kind of opened, people kind of used to come in droves to kind of escape their humdrum lives and they see this all romanticism or terror or whatever up on the screen, you know? So yeah, I've always been in love with um, cinema and the characters. You know, and it was so romantic in a way, you know, and then, you know, as I said, it was a roller coaster ride. Sometimes if you went for like Friday the 13th or those kind of or even that film roller coaster. And I think that was the first time in cinema where they kind of put something in the seats where the seats slightly shook. And that's when the kind of stereo cinema, your stereo sound was coming in. So, yeah, it was always thrilling to go to the cinema. It was always an event and a day out, you know. And finally,
1: Angeline, I think this is a good question to end on. How important do you think film festivals like the Dublin International Film Festival are for cinema and for the industry?
0: I think it's extremely important um, because, you know, it's number one, it puts Dublin on the map and um, it's been going such a long time. It's become really quite international now. Um, I think it's really important that all of the little kind of sleeper films or the shorts or people in the creative industry in Ireland get to have their films shown and people, it's a, ve- it's a platform for networking. It's a platform to have your work shown. It's, it's, it's a celebration as well of film and the arts, and it's encouraging people to come to Ireland and see what we have to offer, you know? I mean, it's a stunning country, and you can turn it into almost anything. Um, And thankfully, it's not that overpopulated in parts that, you know, film crews can kind of come in and land. So it's kind of a calling card for our for our nation to say, hey, look at us. We might be a small country, but look how incredibly talented we are. Look, you know, what we've got to offer. Um, And I think even we were talking yesterday about actors, like, you know, you want to see other people in stuff. You want to see films. It's a great... it's a great kind of showcase for directors and all, and you get to see their work. They get to see you work. You know, it's not just big blockbusters. It's all about the little things that put this industry all together. So I think it's really important and, you know, long may it continue. Uh, It's just, and it's so, it's, it's that nice, you know, we work so hard. I mean, filmmaking is not always, you know, so glamorous it's very early mornings it's long days you you know you get to see the finished product and you know it's a nice it's just a nice time to kind of you know have that bit of glam you know wherever it's held or see other actors so it's just really really nice it's a coming together you know of all our all our talents really
1: i'm really looking forward to seeing deadly cuts cannot wait angeline ball thank you so much
0: for talking to me today thank you so much
1: Angeline Ball there in her film, Deadly Cuts, is sold out at this year's Virgin Media Dublin International Film Festival. But if you didn't get a ticket, don't worry, it's going to be released this summer. So keep an eye out for that.
2: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!"
1: Joining me now is writer and director Paddy Slattery, whose debut film, Broken Law, is now available to watch on Netflix. Patty is here to go through some of the standout documentaries from this year's festival. Patty, talk to me about Kubrick by Kubrick, because this seems to be a very interesting documentary, to say the least.
3: It is. As soon as I heard the title, I actually jumped on it immediately because I'm a massive uh, Kubrick fan. Um, it's, it's actually the very first box set I got about 20 years ago was an actual uh, Stanley Kubrick box set and uh, after watching A Clockwork Orange that premiered on I think film four back in 99 so so yeah I've been obsessed by everything Kubrick since so watching this documentary it was like uh, yeah it was a treat it was I think it was 90 minutes or so and it was a treat from beginning to end and I almost never wanted it to end. Uh, The director uh, Gregory Monroe he managed to sort of conjure the spirit and and the aesthetic of each of his his films in, in sort of, I don't even think they were in chronological order, but you were just along by the the amazing music and visuals of his work. And he's, um, in that regard, I guess it makes Kubrick stand alone in terms of that style. It's like, a I describe it as a punch in the face. His, his films are that visceral and, and controversial even. So... So, yeah, that, that was a very exciting documentary to watch.
1: As a super fan, did you learn anything new about him or was it very much kind of bringing you up to speed on what you were already familiar with about him?
3: Um, I think you can always learn about Kubrick. The, the more you go back to his films and the more you go back to documentaries about him, the more you, you learn not just about him, but learn about yourself. And I think that's what resonates most with me and Kubrick is that his... Every film he makes and every, every I guess, interview, which is, was very rare, actually, but every interview you hear with him, he's very deep, philosophical, and poetic. And you can always learn, I mean, you can always go back to your favourite poem and learn something new about yourself. And I found it was the same with this. And I don't even think you need to be a Kubrick or a film fan to enjoy the documentary. I think you can be seduced by the aesthetic and the music alone, and that in itself will, will I guess subtly encourage you to go on your own personal self-inquiry if, uh, if I can be philosophical about it.
1: <laughs> you can always be philosophical and hooked on we actively encourage it um, <laughs> would you say you had an emotional connection with the documentary then as someone who has as you said grew up watching the movies that he's done and just kind yeah. of so being so familiar with his work did you find yourself connecting with it on that level well,
3: well I did personally because I feel Last year, I sort of my own career came full circle. For the last 10, 15 years, I've had dreams of being Stanley Kubrick or being a filmmaker. Um, and, and then we finally got a feature film made last year and a premiered and all the, the madness that kind of goes along with that. So suddenly when I watched this documentary, Kubrick by Kubrick, it brought it all back to me. It brought me back to the beginning of that, that sort of little crumb of curiosity that led me on this crazy quest. And um, so it was emotional and evocative for me. Um, But for anyone that has, again, that has never dipped their toe in the Kubrickian pond of glory, uh, I I think it would be a treat. Uh, I really do, yeah.
1: From one uh, interesting documentary to another, uh, Gunda looks at the life of a pig and its farm animal companions, two cows and a one-legged chicken. Paddy, what did you think of this?
3: This was amazing. Um, my God, like every once in a generation, I think a filmmaker comes along and makes a statement with a piece of cinema. And and it almost stuns an audience into an absolute stupor because for me, it felt so, because I had spent a whole week watching other very familiar styles of documentaries and films, I suddenly sit down and watch Gunda and it's somewhere between somewhere between uh, like a a David Attenborough National Geographic piece and um, and, and, an Andre Tarkovsky uh, poetic masterpiece from Russia. Um, Somewhere in between, there's the poetry and there's the intimacy of of realism and nature as it unfolds. And and Gunda, the, the sow who rears her piglets, you cannot help but fall in love with her and empathize with her. And um, you just realize this pig who I've never met before. I, my heart is broken for her because every moment of her waking hour is dedicated to the betterment of, of her piglets. And when that role in her life comes to an abrupt end without spoiling the, the sort of act three in the, in this piece, um, we suddenly find ourselves left with, an almost sentient being that has no more purpose in their lives i was stunned i was heartbroken it took me about it took me about two days to wash it out on my mind because i felt guilty it like i am a meat eater and i take i have no shame in saying that i love my bacon and and eggs on a a sunday morning but then you watch a film like this and you are really you're left you're left to confront your own conscience and um that's what it did to me but it didn't do it to me in a patronizing way it done it to me in a very subversive kind of way um because I love poetry in art and I love I love poetry in cinema and this film just if you can get again the genius of this director um Victor what's his name Victor Kozveski I can't even pronounce his name I apologize but but, but what he does brilliantly is the opening scene in that film. If you can get in by the first few minutes of that, you're in. And if you can't, it's not for you. And that's fine because not every film is for every audience. But if you get in that opening scene, that's it. You're hooked and you will have your heart broken. And if you don't have your heart broken by the end of this film, you may check your pulse because it's a profound piece of cinema. It really is.
1: I was going to ask you how to maybe sell this to someone who maybe wasn't entirely won over by the concept or thought it was a bit silly or was a bit naff or kind of saw it as this like animal rights propaganda piece, but I'm just going to tell them to listen to this podcast and listen to exactly what you just said, because you've me easily convinced. I'm sure I could uh, convince others uh, rightly. No, it's Let's not talk a, about.
3: It's definitely not a propaganda piece. It's, it's a very, it's not even a humanist piece. It's a sentient piece. And it appeals to the humanity in everyone, I think.
1: That's Gunda, definitely one worth checking out. Uh, To the Moon, Paddy. Let's talk about that. This is Tyga Sullivan's cinematic ode to the Moon.
3: I I love this. Um, I I think if I can be bold and say it, I think this was my favorite. uh, My favorite experience. Um, It's very difficult to call it a documentary. It almost transcends documentary. And moves again into the realm of cinema poetry. Um, and I can imagine, just like the director, um, Ty, Tyg O'Sullivan, when he was making it, I, I was as seduced watching it as I'd imagine he was making it. It was uh, an extraordinary piece.
1: Why did you connect with it then? Because, I mean, again, if we're going to take this at face value, like it's a hard sell, a man's obsession with the moon. Why was it? You described it as an experience. What made it that way?
3: I've always had, again, on a personal level, and, and this might sound weird, uh, but I've always had a personal relationship with the moon and the stars, especially during, at the beginning of lockdown last year, um, my escapism is my back garden at nighttime where I can mm. um, let loose, I can sing to the, I can howl at the moon. and uh, But I've always been a cinema lover, especially going way, way back to the turn of the 20th century when we were discovering our, our poetic relationship with the celestial bodies out there in, in space. And the moon has been ever present in our lives, uh, even when we don't notice it. And what I loved about this was, Tige. I don't know if you consciously did it, but but when you see the archival footage from 100 years ago and you see how they featured um, the moon in the in the earliest incarnations of cinema all the way up to modern day cinema you realize that that's the same celestial body in the sky that we can see tonight if we wanted if we went out into the garden and ventured that's the very same moon that we see featuring in all these films and what connected me to this film in a very spiritual way was that although the actors and probably all the filmmakers of those earliest films are probably dead and gone now this film somehow manages to to sort of reincarnate the spirit of of the people and their relationship with the moon and how how that moon and how the tides have influenced our own lives um it it is a really deep and personal piece and um, i cannot wait to watch it again i really can't and i'd love to see it in a big cinema with a, a full cinema theater i know we're not going to get that experience this year but i look forward to getting it in the future
1: Oh, me too. I cannot wait. Bring me back to the big screen. Oh my uh, God, finally, God. then, Father of the Cyborgs. What's this one about?
3: Well, 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 uh, the Father of the Cyborgs. Now this, I, I, I was, when I heard about this, I think this is the one I really, I wanted to watch for so many different reasons. And again, yeah, I, I, I'm talking personally again here. I'm, for anyone that doesn't know, I'm quadriplegic. Uh, I I sustained a spinal injury 20 years ago, so I'm a wheelchair user. And when you talk about, or when you hear someone talking about science, medical science, technology, neuroscience, uh, where they foresee us going as a civilization, um, with the integration of medical and technology, technological science in the future, there is a, a very strong likelihood that paralysis Maybe a thing of the past. So when I watched this documentary about uh, Dr. Phil Kennedy, I almost likened him to uh, Tesla. Tesla himself, who was for a long time a very hidden, almost a cult figure, who's sort of brought back the prominence from, I guess, the, the like of Elon Musk, of uh, sort of popularized Tesla and 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 all of the scientific influence that Tesla has had. And, and I found sort of a, a similarity with Dr. Kennedy where. He sort of, he works, he sort of flies below the radar. He's working away, doing his own thing, experimenting on himself, experimenting on on, on people uh, without the support of the mainstream scientific community. Yet here we are now in 2021 and all of the Elon Musks or all of the more mainstream medical scientists of the world now suddenly want to take this guy's invention and take it into the next century and revolutionize medical science but he may end up becoming the forgotten character, the, the forgotten link in this story. Although um, I think Dr. Kennedy, I think they refer to him as not just the father of the cyborgs, but um, the, I think somebody referred to him as the godfather of, of neuroscience. Mm. Uh, and, um, and and it's it's really I, I just hope I really hope this man's this man's legacy doesn't disappear into the wayside while the more mainstream, uh, corporate, you, you know, the I guess the people who are motivated by the fame and the money that I hope they don't s- steal, you know, his, his limelight because, um, he's, I think he's, he's a man, not just, not just a man we can learn about in terms of science, but just, just his dedication to his own craft. Mm. He was willing to put his own life on the line in order to better his, uh, his research. And that takes, that takes courage. Um, I think he even went against the will of his family and his friends. They, they asked him not to do it. And he was like, I'm doing this, whether whether it costs me my life or not, I'm doing it. And that that to me is the true essence of, of a hero, his will to the way laid down his own life for the betterment of humanity. Um, so, yeah, it, it's an incredible story. And I think, I think Carol Holmes, the editor of this piece, I think she pulled off a a near miracle managing to compress this extraordinary, huge story into a a very cohesive narrative structure. I I genuinely feel that this could have been developed into a six to 10 part Netflix series. There's so much information in this man's story. Um, So in one way, I think it it may be heavy in terms of information overload, but for, for people like myself that like that, then it was it was 90 minutes or whatever well spent but for anyone that's in there for the I guess the cinematic documentary experience they might find that they might have to go back and maybe re-watch some stuff because there is so much information in there to take from.
1: You've spoken about your own personal interest in this particular documentary but for anyone else why should they seek out Father the
3: Cyborgs to watch? Well I I think we're I think this documentary is coming at the most important time in the history of, of, of our civilization. And that's no exaggeration. Technology is developing exponentially. And as soon as they crack the code on quantum computing and quantum quantum science, it's going to open a whole new door in terms of the potential medically, technologically, scientifically, and it's going to revolutionize the world that we're actually living in, this technology that we're talking through today it will seem redundant and primitive in maybe another generation's time. So people like Dr. Phil are at the forefront of this technology. And for that reason alone, it, it's, it's a profound piece of documentary. But I think this film is actually going to be even more relevant in 50 to 100 years' time when people look back at this, this chapter in our civilization. And they look for documentaries and books like this, and they see that well, this was the turning point in humanity. And we don't know where we will be. We literally do not know where we will be or how we will be in a future presence. Um, But these documentaries give us a little glimpse into what potential is out there. And that's, it's mind blowing. Like I'm sitting in a wheelchair here today, but in 20 years time, that wheelchair itself might be uh, obsolete. We don't know, but it's certainly possible.
1: Patty Slattery, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. A reminder for listeners that they can see your feature film debut, Broken Law, which premiered at last year's festival, now on Netflix, starring Tristan Heenu, Graham Early and John Connors, all giving superb performances. Uh, What's next for you, Patty? Are you working on anything at the minute?
3: I am working on a a screenplay for my next feature, which is why The Father of the Cyborgs was important for me. Um, There is some neuroscience feature in, in my story. And uh, so when I was watching the documentary, it actually felt like a uh, research, <laughs> as well as the experience. So yeah, I I'm excited. I I am. Um, I'll have a, another masterpiece in, in another maybe two or three years time for you.
1: We cannot wait to watch. Uh, thanks again for your time, Paddy. My pleasure. Today's podcast was produced by Gordon Hayden. I'm Fanula J, and I'll chat to you on the next Hooked on Virgin Media Dublin International Film Festival.
0: This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.
3: Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu Original Limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy,